Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Social Review Podcast. I'm your host, Jasper at Jasper underscore CH on Twitter. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Anna Oppenheim, ANA OPP on Twitter. Um, I am a labour activist living in London, but originally from Warsaw. And I'm also a member of RASM, a left-wing Polish party. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, um, Anna. Um, and today we're going to be talking about Poland and uh, your recent general election, um, the second round of which was over the weekend. Um, so Andrzej Duda, the um, far-right president, has been re-elected. Um, and we thought we'd talk a bit about that today. So Anna, would you just be able to explain about what has happened with the election for listeners who perhaps don't really know much about what's gone on? So Poland was due to a presidential election in May, um, obviously like right, right in the middle of the pandemic. And the government, um, you know, we have a very far right government, the Women Justice Party and the presidency, the government was pushing um, for an election to go ahead in May. Mm. Um, it was in the circumstances where having an election campaign was impossible, obviously, or rallies or canvassing, any political events were cancelled. Mm. Um, and the president was on TV all the time talking about how, how well the government is handling the crisis. Um, it was also practically dangerous. Um, you know, in full lockdown, it was impossible to expect he would go outside, go to the polls. And there was a plan to make it a fully postal election. But then that was met with protests of postal workers, among others, who were scared of their safety. And the idea that having to distribute millions of votes um, will help spread the virus. And at the very last minute, the May election was cancelled, or it simply didn't happen. It was not officially cancelled, it was just not delivered, and later declared that uh, it was not valid. So the presidential election was moved um, for June and July of the year. And um, a few months ago, back in May, even early June, it looked very obvious that Duda, the incumbent, would win easily. In a situation where campaigning was impossible, um, it was a very easy task for him to win that re-election. However, in the final weeks, uh, the opposition campaign picked up speed. So previously, the, the main opposition candidate um, was a woman called Małgorzata Kitawa-Boyska. He was from, it was a kind of mainstream conservative from the main opposition party. She was replaced by Rachel Trzaskowski, um, liberal mayor of Warsaw, um, quite charismatic, quite nationally popular. And uh, yeah, this campaign picked up speed in the last few weeks. And in the final days, it looked like it could be extremely close, like Duda could lose the presidency, which would be quite a major improvement in the situation where, you know, a, a far right ultra conservative nationalist party has both the government and the presidency. Losing a presidency would be quite meaningful and a step towards a gain now of power. Mm. But yeah, unfortunately, um, Duda won his re-election with 51% of the vote, mm. just about scraped by. Um, so yeah, I saw the exit poll on Sunday night, where it was looking at it was less than 1%. I was still hoping that after the count, it would come out as Shoskovsky's narrowly winning. But no, we woke up uh, to see Duda win. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, I mean, thank you, thank you for the explanation. It's really sort of fascinating story about the delayed election i didn't know that i didn't know that it wasn't officially cancelled that it was just declared invalid that's really interesting yeah it's simply, it just was just not organized it just didn't happen damn um and and 
you you mentioned the closeness of the result, which I think is quite interesting and important to talk about because I was looking at the results for the previous presidential election in 2015, and that was also really close. Um, when Duda only won by 51.5%. So his vote went down by 0.5%. So w- what, what does that say about Poland's politics that Duda has won two elections in a row, but only by these really quite thin margins? A post-Polygon scene is extremely polarised. And um, it's been the case since um, 2005, more or less, that Poland divided itself between supporters and opponents of law and justice. I think that's the way it could be easily described. Um, there, is a, there has been for a long time a um, urban-rural divide. There is an east and west divide, with western Poland being generally more liberal, more progressive, eastern Poland being more conservative. Um, there is increasingly, which wasn't that obvious in previous years, an age divide. So, um, whereas five years ago, Duda was fairly popular among young people, this time we saw young people overwhelmingly going to Cheskovsky. But it is, it has been for quite a while very narrow. And a lot of the divides are along the lines of you know, so-called culture war. Mm. So, um, in the past, um, you know, in 2015, a lot of the debate was around accepting refugees, was around issues to do with race and migration. In more recent years, it's been dominated by uh, LGBT rights and the so-called gender ideology. So questions of feminism, of, of homophobia, of trans rights and so on. And that was also um, the major theme of this year's campaign. Mm. And um, I'm sure you know, listeners as well will, will recognize much of what you just said, those, those same themes of, of, you know, geographical and age divides are sort of recurrent across different countries in the world right now with, you know, the far right, populist right, gaining power and that kind of thing. Um, and we were sort of wondering to, to what extent should the, should the result and that polarization in Poland be placed in a Polish context or um, is it a sort of central and Eastern European context, you know, similar to what's going on in Hungary, for example, or is it part of a global context with a global turn to sort of illiberal populism with Trump and Modi and Bolsonaro, et cetera, or is it, some, is it all of them? I think it's all of them, really. Um, <laughs> okay. it's, not a, it's not a new thing in Poland. Mm. Uh, the first law and justice government was in 2005. Mm. It was short-lived, that's only two years, but it was also, you know, a, predominantly a culture war government. Mm. And uh, those divides have existed and, and even deepened since. Uh, we've seen the rise of street far-right movements as well alongside that. Mm. At the same time, it is paralleled what was happening across the world. Um, no. Law and Justice and Orban see themselves as close allies. Similarly, in the final days of the campaign, Duda was posing with selfies with Trump. Mm. And uh, these people openly talk about um, being allies with similar radical right nationalist movements across the world. Mm. And, and it's interesting that you, you talked about um, how this isn't necessarily a new thing in Poland and how it goes back to sort of 2005. So what was, what was that government like? like what was... What, what do you think were the sort of causes of that sort of nascent version of the culture war in the last um, two decades ago now, almost? Yeah, 15 years ago. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that was probably when I was first becoming really aware of politics, mm, mm. Um, was the government at the time. And um, it followed the collapse of the of social democratic center left. 
So before, before 2005, the government was in the hands of the Polish Social Democratic Party, which, which you know, I, I don't think we can call left-wing in any sense of the word. I think it went full third way and did not deliver on a lot of the promises of um, protecting people from the worst excess of capitalism. Um, their government ended with um, SLD, the Social Democratic Party, being very unpopular. They have not recovered since. And uh, the debate then became very different. Mm. Then the polarization became primarily between um, you know, racist homophobes who also talk about, talk the talk about protecting ordinary people on one hand. On the other hand, liberals who might well be not even very radical, but, you know, sort of middle of the road on, on gay rights and women's rights, but who are also seen as the out of touch elite who have little to say about uh, the everyday problems of working class people. So, so if it was like the third way, then is it, you know, forgive me if this is a cra- crass historical comparison, but is it, is it, does it sort of match up to what we've experienced in, in other European countries in the UK then, for example, of, of a sort of social democratic third way political party, which collapses due to sort of longstanding forces to the, to the far right, I suppose. Yeah, there's certainly parallels who have happened across the world. Um, at the same time, the rebirth of the more radical left is made more difficult in Poland and in a lot of Eastern Europe, actually, due to its history, mm. due to the association with communism, um, talking about uh, organizing as the working class, for example, or talking about trade unionism, is something that's seen as a relic from the past. Mm. And uh, it's quite hard for the left, which is, which is trying to cohere itself in Poland, trying to organize. Um, to reclaim that language or, or to find new language to be able to communicate to people um, mm. about left-wing ideas without bringing to mind, uh, you know, the secret police and, mm. and the old regime, which uh, is not popular, obviously. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting and, and tapped into something else I wanted to ask about the, the history of this. So mm. a sort of common story from like Germany and uh, recently France as well as the, the rise of green parties um so is that is that not as much of a thing in poland um green parties haven't been doing as well is that fair to say yeah no we we do have a green party but it is very small and it's Mm. it works with um the kind of mainstream liberal party Mm. so they've they've stood previously in coalition and the greens are not a major force Mm. there has been a bit of a revival of the left um Mm. in the past couple of years Mm. Um, so there are three, there are three different left-wing parties in Poland, mm. at least the major ones. So, um, SLD, as I mentioned, like all social democratic party, who mm. a lot of its base is people who were in the old communist party, who mm-hmm. maybe have like some level of nostalgia or some level of collection for mm-hmm. the old regime. Um, not, not particularly popular among kind of young generation, mm. sort of woke types. Then, um, Razem, which is the party I'm a member of, um, which was born in 2015, um, taking inspiration from movements like Syriza and Podemos, mm. trying to speak more to the radical left, both socially progressive, but also um, economically, you know, there are many people involved who will openly call them socialists, mm. talking about taxing the rich, talking about workers' rights. Mm. Um, and then in the past so year and a half, two years, we had a new movement called Viosna, um, mm-hmm. which is a social democratic and a 
predominantly um, social liberal party mm. led by Robert Biedron. He was a popular, charismatic LGBT rights activist. Mm. And these three parties merged or form a coalition mm. called Levita or the left. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, certainly in my memory, trying to cohere the left as a block that's, mm. that both talks about kind of progressive social issues, but also talks about economic redistribution mm. and, and the climate um, was a major aspect mm. of its program. But uh, much as Levita has managed to enter parliament with 12.5% last year, Mm. which was quite a success after many years where the left was just not representing parliament at all. Mm. It has not managed to have a significant impact on the presidential race. Mm. So Viedroin, who was the left candidate, only got just, just over 2% in the first mm. round mm. and really failed to set the terms of the debate. Mm. Mm. And, and is that likely the result of those long-standing, um, still sort of, mistrust of uh, you know the old communist parties and the sense of um like the the soviet union and that kind of thing is that is that still very much in effect in how people think of the left when going to vote in presidential elections that's definitely an aspect although mm. it will be hard to accuse biedron of any yeah. links <laughs> with stalinism um I think what the left really failed to do in this election Mm. is try to run a campaign on its own terms Mm. Um, in a situation where, you know, the the basic dividing line was where you for and against LGBT rights. Mm. It was very easy for the liberals to claim that stage. Mm. Even though Biedron said, and correctly so, that he was the only candidate in the race who supported equal marriage. um, In a situation where the parliament is still predominantly against it. Mm. Um, the president's for equal marriage is not the main issue. Mm. And the liberals could quite successfully talk about tolerance and respect and claim that vote. Mm. Um, the left did not make climate a dividing line. Uh, Biedron tried to talk a bit about housing and healthcare, but it failed to become the main theme of the campaign. Mm. Mm. So it was, it was where you support or oppose Duda with not much space for other points of view. Mm. Mm. So... So when you say it was whether you support or oppose Judah, was it was there any sense of it being a sort of like a personal referendum on him and his politics? Does he play a sort of outsized personal role in Polish politics? Because I know I know the presidency is sort of like, is it correct to say it's more of a ceremonial title in some sense? Well, the president in Poland is definitely not as powerful as uh, in the US or countries like France. Mm. Um, the president has a, has a few significant powers. I think mm. more, more importantly, the possibility of vetoing mm. um, um, laws passed by the government, uh, which then have to have two thirds of the vote to pass. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of like narrow votes around the, you know, civil liberties issues, LGBT rights and so on, the president can be quite powerful in some of the worst success of the government. Mm. Uh, but it is, other than that, it is largely a ceremonial role and mm. a symbolic role. Um, I wouldn't say Duda has um, a huge personal vote or more than kind of other leading figures. Mm. I mean, Kaczynski, the leader of the party, is often, you know, despite not having a kind of significant, like officially significant role, so I'm brought, brought forward as a kind of leading figure. Mm. Uh, Duda, when Duda first stood for the presidency, he wasn't particularly famous. He'd been mm. an MEP. 
he was seen as more of a unifying figure, I think, in 2015. Mm. Whereas this time, he ran a extremely divisive campaign. Mm. So I think it was more of a referendum on the government, really, mm. on law and justice. Mm. And and the the fact that it was such a, a slim result. I mean, thinking thinking more long term, are those slim result very very slim margins of victory normal in Polish presidential elections, um, or is this more of a recent phenomenon? That's been fairly common. Okay. Um, in recent years, it's uh, yeah, we've we've definitely seen surprises, and we've seen some extremely narrow votes. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think it became so heated and so kind of interesting just because Duda expected to walk it, mm. and there was even thought he could win the first round without yeah. need to go into the second round. Mm. That seemed obvious a few months ago. It was only in the recent weeks that it stopped being obvious, and mm. uh, there was a spark of hope that maybe mm. will will end their monopoly on power. Mm. And 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 as as you said at the beginning, that that was down to um, Chaskovsky assuming the nominee role. And, and it, it, does does he have a, a strong personal vote? Then is he what? What kind of politician is he like? Because as I understand it, he he's more center right. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. So P.O., the party he's from, is centre-right. Mm. It's probably closest to our Tories. Mm. Uh, he's from the more liberal wing of the party. Sure. So, um, you know, the previous candidate, Kidawa Boinska, was more of a conservative. Chaskowski is more of a liberal. Mm. So he could more successfully cohere the liberal vote mm. um, around himself, while it being split in different directions. He is quite charismatic, quite popular. Mm. Um, so he became probably nationally famous, um, a year and a half ago, where he signed a charter of LGBT rights. Mm. They included uh, the right to learn about um, sex and relationships, including equality issues at school. Mm. That's part of major controversy. That started um, a lot of attack lines from the right. So yeah, he has an image of someone who is a liberal, who is a progressive, and uh, he certainly had a, an energetic campaign around him. He managed to mobilize his base mm. in the way Akita and Boyska simply didn't. Um, there was also some evidence that some of the most extreme homophobic rhetoric by Duda was putting people off. Mm. That uh, not all law and justice supporters wanting, wanted uh, this extremely hostile dehumanizing campaign. Mm. And he lost probably a few percent of the vote because of that. Mm. Um, this is, I think, one of the reasons why, yeah, in, in the final days, it was getting closer. Mm. And, um, and, and on LGBT rights, because you said that that was a major dividing line in in the election um what are the what are the reasons do you think of the law and justice party using that as a dividing line like is there are there sort of specific um reasons relating to poland's sort of culture and history which they which which mean that they can use that as a dividing line or is it or is it more in that sort of international context of you know the culture war as um as you mentioned yeah, as I mentioned, like previously around 2015, 16, 17, mm. it was much more about Muslims, immigrants, refugees, um, racial issues. That was the kind of dividing line. And that mm. was what um, you know, the state broadcaster, which is fully controlled by government, mm. was talking about all the time, blaming any social problem that exists in, in the West, in Europe, um, on you know Muslims, refugees, foreign cultures. Mm. 
yeah, and it was around a year and a half ago that the main enemy that that, that this I think just stopped sticking mm. in a very homogenous country like Poland. Sure. Um, there's only so much you can win by talking about refugees and Muslims coming over here. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, the LGBT movement, gay rights became the new enemy. Mm. Uh, partly, yes, after Trotskowski signed the Charter of LGBT Rights, partly as a result of the rise of Biedron, a prominent mm. LGBT activist, appearing mm. on the political stage, uh, gaining a lot of personal popularity, mm. uh, that became the dividing line. Um, the influence of the Catholic Church, I think, is quite significant here. Mm. Uh, Poland is a very conservative society. Um, it's one of the most Catholic societies in the world, mm. uh, with a significant uh, church-going of people who are churchgoers mm. um, and the church is very openly political mm. takes political positions uh, catholic media have a lot of influence and that certainly facilitates making of culture war issues the topic of the day mm. yeah that catholicism is actually something else that i had wanted to ask about so is catholic is catholicism the sort of state religion in poland yes yeah very much so okay cool and you, you, what, what kind of political positions does it take? You say that they uh, are openly political. Yeah, so the Catholic Church played quite a significant role in the transformation and of supporting Solidarność and providing a kind of dissident space. Mm. So the history of uh, the church having influence in politics is mm. quite ingrained in, in kind of Polish national culture. Mm. Um, and uh, since the transformation, um, the church has um, has taken very conservative positions on things like gay rights, abortion rights. Um, they did a deal with the social democratic government that they would break their promise of liberalizing abortion law in return for the, from the church um, accepting entry into the EU. Mm-hmm. So that kind of deals within church, the church and governments right. have been very commonplace. And law and justice positioned itself as extremely close to the Polish Catholic Church. Mm which help get access to, well, millions of people mm. whose primary identity is as, well, firstly, probably Poles, secondly, um, as Catholics and Christians and mm. followers of the church. Mm. And, and how does religion factor into the, the left-wing social democratic politics of, of Poland? Is, 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 is that a religious space, a Catholic space, or is it more sort of... Does, does it not talk about religion as much? No, the, the left in Poland is very secular. Yeah. Talking about separation of church and state mm. has been for many years one of the key slogans of the left, mm. um, which is, you know, in a situation when we talk, want to talk about abortion, we want to talk about equal marriage, when we talk, want to talk about um, tolerance and openness, mm. um, that is really one of, the, one of the kind of key aspects. Mm. Um, one of the demands of the left um, has also been to get the church out of schools because um, religious teaching in Poland is uh, currently opt-out. So it's mandatory mm. basically for most students. whose parents don't want them to not go. And it's, it's run entirely by the church with very little control of the state. So, mm. you know, I remember being taught when I was like 10 or 11 about why LGBT rights are a threat, why abortion is bad. Mm. Um, and one of the, the main demands of the left has been the separation of uh, church from schools, the church from public life, um, also more symbolic issues like not having the cross from an entity display in every public building, mm. things like that, um, to promote our religious freedom. Mm. Mm. It's, it's really interesting because um, something I sort of 
think about well relatively infrequently is about the increasing secularization of the uk for example and how religion doesn't play as much of a role in sort of everyday politics even though nominally the conservative party is the party of religion and state religion and anglicanism and um, that sort of thing um do, do you think it's do you think the that strong blend of church and state of, of um, Catholicism and, and politics in Poland is basically a mainstay? Do you think? Do you think there's any possibility of that unraveling or in, increasingly secularization as has happened here, for example? Or is it quite unlikely to happen, even in the short term? I think it will be happening. It will be happening slowly. Mm. Um, there is some evidence that the um, number of churchgoers have been slowly falling. Mm. Um, there is perhaps a bit more of a space for secular politics, mm. but it's definitely something that will not happen very quickly. Mm. Um, and I think making space for alternative narratives, for alternative identities for people to organize around, mm. um, and taking away some of the more kind of moderate Catholics, people who might be into the religion but kind of not the wider politics mm. uh, will be a major challenge for you know liberals as much as the left mm. Mm. yeah and, and that sort of leads on nicely to what the liberals on the left are going to do next i mean is there going to be is there going to be some kind of soul searching from um the you know the the civic platform for example and the, the left-wing coalition um do you think there needs to be a sort of any major changes in strategy and philosophy for the 2025 election? Definitely. Um, the first reaction from a lot of people is unfortunately playing the blame game, mm. trying to find where that's where there's a left voters who are to blame for mobilizing hard enough, mm. whether it's uh, Shaskovsky's to blame, whether, you know, maybe you had a different opposition candidate is to blame. Mm. Um, and that's dominated the past few days. But mm. uh, certainly going forward, it has to be a thing. It's all about strategy um, mm. and how, you know, how we win over, well, First, the few percent we need to, you know, or, or progressives need to win the next election. Mm. And then secondly, or perhaps even more importantly, society as a whole mm. to more progressive ideas. Because, mm. uh, you know, it is, it is quite scary that uh, our favorite single voters voted for a campaign that didn't just talk about, um, you know, the NHS or welfare spending or whatever. A campaign mm. that talked about dehumanizing LGBT people. Mm. I found that millions of people so that and voted for that is in itself quite terrifying. Um, and uh, yeah, as well as progressives, we'll have to talk, think about the strategy and how they win over those voters. The left will also have to think about strategy and how it maintains and builds itself as a significant political force in this very divided landscape. Mm. How it carves out a space for you know, talking about progressive values while also talking about radically transforming the economy, mm. which there just seems to be so little space for at the moment. Mm. And and on the on the economy, something which is interesting about the law and justice party is that their platform is sort of essentially about like state redistribution economic redistribution and socially conservative policies um is that is that fair to say yeah yeah certainly um in 2015 a lot of their both general presidential election campaign was about supporting ordinary people ordinary families mm-hmm. um obviously with kind of like racial and conservative undertones yeah um so one of their flagship policies was the 500 plus child benefit program, mm. which, um, you know, on the one hand, uh, did 
raise families out of poverty, you did put food on many people's tables. Mm. And, uh, you know, for that, for that reason, it has to be defended, in my opinion. On the other hand, a lot of the rhetoric around it is around preserving the, the relational family. It's about making sure Polish women have Polish children and so right. on. So yeah. it ties in quite nicely with um, the kind of idea of nationhood and of, of Polish tradition they want to promote. Mm. Um, I wouldn't overestimate how redistributed the just government has been. They've certainly had a few successful policies, um, but in general, it is not a government that is interested in promoting workers' rights. Mm. Um, in their coronavirus response, they've prioritized business over protecting jobs and people's incomes. Mm. Um, so the idea that, uh, you know, it's, a, it's this kind of like, you know, government that's, that's there for working class people mm. um, should not be exaggerated. Mm. But at the same time, if the main opposition um, is fundamentally neoliberal, if a lot of people are legitimately scared that um, they would, you know, um, that they will lose the child benefit that they depend on, that they will lose um, uh, their housing, their healthcare, basic rights, if mm. people came to power, um, it will be hard to win these votes over to mm. kind of progressive social ideas. Mm. And that's why the role of the left is and should be very important. Mm. But, um, the left will need to do much more to make sure that these two things are tied together and you know if we talk about human rights they're equally the right to food and shelter as the right to right to um you know be in love who you love and mm. um, be able to have an abortion if you need it mm. Mm. and um how how long has that been the sort of political platform and ideology of the law and justice party is that um is, it, is that a recent development, sort of like 2015 since, or is that their long-standing philosophy? Because it, because it does, again, to sort of think about, um, compared to British politics and other European politics, it, it does remind me of that sort of blue labourish platform um, and how, you know, the, the current iteration of the Conservative Party seems to be keen on creating these culturally divisive issues, but being economically redistributive. I mean, you know, I'm not totally convinced that they actually will be economically redistributive and time will tell how successful that infrastructure plan is. But again, again, it sort of ties back with what we were saying earlier of, of some of the, some of the political developments, which have been recent for other States. So the sort of collapse of the center left and the rise of the far right happening in Poland in the two thousands. So is that, is, is, is that political platform of the Laurent Justice Party also a recent development or is it a long, a long standing thing? I think it's been quite consistent. Mm. Um, in terms of the basic ideas, that's basically what they've always been. There's obviously been a different focus, as I've mentioned. Mm. Um, in you know, 2005, seven, the focus is more on anti-communism. That was the mm. main message. Um, while still talking about you know protecting ordinary people by a language wrapped in kind of anti-communism on like punishing people who are close to the old regime. Mm. Uh, then you know, 2015, it was more about national identity and nationalism, mm. but also with a bit of a redistributed message. Mm. Now it's about protecting families. So mm. the angle has always slightly shifted, mm. but the core message was fundamentally the same: that mm. to protect ordinary people, they don't use the language of working class, but for ordinary people, mm. we have to attack those foreign hostile ideologies that are coming from the West or coming from Russia or coming from sure. whatever the enemy is at the moment. Mm. It's always anti-something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, interesting. Um, 
and and sort of going forward with specifically with um like lgbt rights and abortion rights what 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 can be done to protect those and stop civil liberties being further eroded is it is it hopeless or is there is there cause for hope in that area over the past few years there has certainly been a rise of progressive social movements mm. so if you remember the 2016 women's strike mm. that um managed to stop a complete ban on abortion that the government was trying to introduce and that has really galvanized um a lot of especially women who've never been politically active before yeah um, to see themselves as feminists start talking openly about feminism i think it had a kind of long-term impact um similarly over the past two three years we've seen a big growth of the lgbt movement in poland mm. um a year ago we saw some of the biggest pride marches or mm. the biggest pride marches in poland's history um, even though some of them were famously physically attacked mm. and there's even been kind of terror attempts. Um, and I think this is something that uh, will continue to grow. Um, you know, I very much hope you will be seeing a massive fight back um, in communities and not just in big cities, maybe also in smaller towns uh, in the countryside where it's often most needed. Mm. So that's, that's at least my hope. Um, that this will be something that's uh, you know not just spoken about by a few kind of well-meaning figures in the capital, mm. but there will be more of a kind of grassroots movement for people to protect their their friends, their, na- their neighbors, and family members. Mm. And also, local government, I think, will be an arena of struggle. I mean, we know about the LGBT free zones that famously a lot of local authorities have voted to declare themselves as. Mm. Um, and uh, we saw Chaskovsky in Warsaw, the kind of opposite movement is possible. Mm. And I'm hoping that. Um, more local governments will be kind of following Shostakovsky's lead mm. and uh, passing kind of LGBT rights charters mm. or declaring themselves kind of LGBT friendly zones mm. as a response to that movement. Mm. Okay, so we so we talked about the the presidency as more of a sort of ceremonial role, and you talked there about local governments. Does Poland's uh, political structure lend itself to um, using local governments as the fight back and sort of um, parliamentary elections is it parliamentary or um yeah yeah okay and, and, and sort of parliamentary elections when are, when are those supposed to be happening um in three three years and a bit okay, okay. it's a nice parliamentary election okay um i think the lo- the role of local government is to a large extent symbolic but okay. the kind of symbolic role has been very meaningful you know mm. with the kind of lgbt free zones i've mentioned mm. um the idea of building grassroots support for an idea mm. uh, that goes beyond parliament and goes beyond mm. big cities mm. which is the reason why i'm mentioning it yeah okay cool and, with and the kind of big like urban rules the in town divide mm. i would like to see more of that happening outside mm. of just uh, yeah kind of a few key metropolises. Mm. cool and and just as a last thing i wanted to ask about covid so you you talked about it um earlier and how the law and justice party is sort of um uh, used it to be very pro-business as opposed to protecting workers' rights. Um, and obviously it had a significant impact and that it delayed the election itself and clearly significantly influenced the result. Um, has it had a... Has, has it had a demonstrable impact on the sort of like political battlegrounds of, of Polish politics in the same way that COVID in the UK has had on people's political sensibilities or... You know, what, what's the overall sense of like how the government has handled it and how people are feeling in that sense? 
I would say it has not had the same impact. Mm. Uh, the lockdown in Poland happened much sooner before mm. there are many cases confirmed. Mm. Uh, so the impact has in general been smaller. Yeah. But also the left, I think, has not done a good enough job at uh, using the moment to right. start talking about things like workers' rights, to start sure. talking about healthcare. Mm. Um, and we haven't seen the same explosion of mutual aid groups or kind of mm. grassroots initiatives that we've seen in here, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, to an extent, it wasn't as necessary, perhaps. Um, but uh, yeah, it's something that simply has not happened on the same scale. Yeah, now I, I wish I could direct you to a kind of good solidarity campaign to get involved in. Mm. There are various initiatives of, um, kind of progressive and left-wing polls in the UK. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, I promote whatever comes up. So, <laughs> so follow Anna on Twitter. A-N-A-O-P-P on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, I'll be sharing any protests and any solidarity actions that are going on. and place you can donate money so look it up listening to another episode of the social review podcast i do really hope you enjoyed it and thank you so much to anna as well for coming on and explaining what's going on in poland for us uh, she said at the end there do go follow her on twitter where uh, she will be posting uh, petitions and links to groups and articles and all that sort of thing so you can learn more and uh, donate and all that sort of thing excitingly Exciting news, we are running a summer consultation thing uh, for the Social Review podcast, which is essentially just a Google form. Uh, so basically what we want to do is uh, get a sense of what you guys who listen to the podcast uh, actually think about it, uh, you know, what you like, what you dislike, what you would change, uh, how you see the podcast and all that sort of all that sort of thing. Um, so if you'd like to fill that out, it'd be enormously appreciated. We're going to leave the link in the show notes to this. And it's also in the podcast description, which should show up on your podcast app of choice. It will only take a couple of minutes. It's you know, just a few a few basic questions and it's completely anonymous as well. So you can say whatever you like, although of course be nice. Thanks ever so much and you will hear us again next week. Goodbye. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Social Review Podcast. I'm your host, Jasper, at Jasper underscore CH on Twitter. And joining me this week, uh, I'm delighted to be joined by... Can I introduce myself? Yeah, sorry. yeah, go for it, go for it, go for it. Sorry, I just, I just butchered <laughs> that intro. repeat that, sorry. <laughs> I'm going gonna, gonna... I'm gonna, I'm gonna to repeat that intro because that was an awful, that was an awful intro from me. Right, okay. Three, two.